Wasn't that great? <laughs> Lift Jesus' name higher. Amen. Amen. My name is Ken Wolf. I'm one of the elders here, and I've been asked to carry on in Philippians in the same series that Pastor Kurt's working on. So we'll be picking up in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I'd like to start by just reading that. We'll be reading Philippians 3, 12, and going through Philippians 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to look at your word, thank you for its truth. Thank you for its encouragement. Capture our hearts. Whatever troubles or concerns or pains we bring today, Lord, may we bring them knowing that you are aware of them. You use them. You want us to struggle to bring them to you. We ask that you would cause us to bring them to you, that we would put them at your feet, not necessarily to remove them, but to see them in light of our glorious Savior. Bring us into your presence, Spirit. Cause us to look to you and trust you. We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You've probably heard of the student who, when he was asked by his teacher, where's your homework? They come up with a lot of, a lot of excuses. But one of the popular ones is, my dog ate it. Well, I'm here to tell you, my dog didn't eat my homework. 
my dog did my homework. That might sound strange. Amy, you know my dog. You... <laughs> One day, I, I normally the dog sleeps on the bed, right? So I get up and the dog's not there. I'm looking around. The dog's under the bed. Okay, the fan was on. Maybe didn't like, the, I don't know. So I thought I'd be cute. And I got down on the floor. I looked under the bed and I talked to him. I said, you know, you, know, you okay, BB? You know, what's, what's happening here? And he kind of looks at me and crawls up from underneath and the day goes on. His day went on. Mine didn't. I stood up and immediately my world started spinning. It was the first time I'd experienced vertigo. And I didn't think about this. I just immediately collapsed to the floor. And at that point, with my world still spinning, my stomach said, I've got something to contribute to this too. <laughs> it was a strange few days until the bulk of it passed. Went to a doctor. They gave me an exercise to do, and it, it worked largely. But still... It's been a new chapter to experience vertigo. When I'm laying down, I don't get up fast anymore. I sit up, let my world stop spinning, and then I can stand up. Well, just as there is physical vertigo, there's spiritual vertigo too. We look around us, we look at our culture, we look at our world, we look at our history. The world is spinning spiritually. We need a foundation. Humans need something to latch onto. If you've had vertigo, you know that when it hits, the first thing you do is you're reaching for something that ain't moving because you need a reference point. Spiritually, we need that reference point too. We need Jesus. What's he called? A rock, our foundation. He's the one that sets us right, that gets rid of the spiritual vertigo, that, that gives us foundation. That's what this passage is talking about. Paul has, has talked in Philippians, and Pastor Kurt's done a wonderful job of opening up this book to show the wonderfulness of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. We look at chapter 3 in particular, and we see... Paul starting out in verse 3 by saying, we are the ones who worship God truly. That's who we are. But then he goes on starting in verse 4 to talk about who we were, specifically who Paul was. He talks about being a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Benjamite, faultless in regard to the law. That's who he was. He's only setting that up, telling that story so he can explain that's no longer him. So he goes from who we are, who we were, and then in our passage, he's going to start talking about who we should be. Currently, in the past, and now where we're headed. As we walk through this passage, I, I want to read a few verses and We'll talk about, we don't really talk, do we? I'll talk about them. You can respond and listen. And I want you to be encouraged to hold on to Jesus. 
Hold on to him. He's your reference point. If you have vertigo, your world is spinning, hang on. He is your foundation and standard. Let me read verses 12 through 14. In some ways, this this is kind of like, I walked into a lecture one time, and the first thing the professor said was, on the other hand, (laughs) okay, I must have missed something. This is kind of in the middle of a thought process that Paul's had, because he's talking about his past. He's talked about the transition of getting rid of his own righteousness or no longer claiming it. And he's looking to Christ for his righteousness. And as a result of that, this is where we pick up in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pastor Kurt pointed out, I think it was last week, that at this point, Paul's been a Christian for about 30 years. And you'd think he'd start to say, you know, hey, I've... I've accomplished this, I've done this, I've made it here, check mark there. No, he's saying, I'm still working on this. I'm not there yet. We as believers don't arrive the day we believe, nor do we arrive 30 years later. It's a pressing on, it's a working towards, it's a constant effort. to display the righteousness that has been given to us, to work it out. So it's progress, not perfection. We press on, progress. I was talking to somebody just before the service, and they were telling me, I won't give you his name, but he's got four kids, and it's important you know that, their ages, I won't tell you their names, 23, 21, 18, and 12. Okay, the first two have moved out. And now it's almost like a second chance, a second go around, you know, a second family. And so he was telling me how he's parenting differently. Progress, not perfection. He's making progress. He's changed how he relates to his kiddos because Christ is more real to him. He's holding on more tightly. The vertigo is less often. He's claiming Christ. He's holding on because Christ has held on to him. There's an interesting verse in Hebrews 10, 14 that says this. In speaking of Jesus and his all-encompassing one-time sacrifice, 10.14 says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You get the, the combination there? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're becoming what we already are. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
we don't have a foundation that shifts. We don't have a foundation that changes. We have a foundation that is rock solid. Jesus. He solves spiritual vertigo. He is our reference point. So we have grounds for pressing on. We have grounds for continuing, not becoming perfect, but making progress. Paul isn't talking about here pressing on in terms of, oh, just be a better person. You know, read a Bible verse and, and, and do this or that. He's not moralizing here. He's talking about grasping Jesus as your righteousness, initially believing in Jesus, but continuing to hang on. I, I know a young woman who's been through some really tough times. She, um, she ended up with being a single mom. Circumstances beyond her control. She was abandoned. She had three little girls, two of them preschool, and she was struggling, taking care of those three on her own. She put them to bed one evening and came out of the last bedroom and just kind of fell down exhausted. She, she spoke to God by saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm at my end. She said she felt as though Jesus was sitting next to her with his arms around her and whispered to her, I've got you. I've got you. That changed her. She knew the vertical was gone. There was a reference point. Here is one who has not only saved me, he's with me all the time. He's with me. Jesus said, I've got you. That's what he's saying here in verse 12. That's the, the whole key to what Paul is talking about, that last half of verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I've got you, he says. You're his. You're owned. Why do we live like we're not owned? <laughs> I've got an illustration here. How many of you have checkbooks? Probably don't use them as much as you used to, right? <laughs> Beth and I recently stayed at a place where they told us ahead of time that if we paid for it with a credit card, they were going to charge a 3.3% fee. I don't know. I think they called it a fee. So I thought. They said, if you bring your checkbook, pay with a check, no 3.3% fee. So I thought, no, I can figure this out. So I had my checkbook with me, came to pay the bill, opened up my checkbook, no checks. <laughs> okay. How often do we depend on our own bank account instead of drawing on God's resources? You know, it's not only embarrassing. You know, I'm, I'm coming with a little bit of pride. You know, I figured this out and I can, I can do this. 
But then this, instead of becoming a source of pride, it became a source of embarrassment. That's how our own efforts appear to God. When we come to him and say, well, you know, Lord, I got the the little things. You just get the big things. No, he's got it all. Remember what what he said? He owns you. As believers, he owns us. But in the best sense of the word, he's got you. He's holding you. I like how the psalmist puts it. Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. Notice how active that resting is. We usually don't think of resting as active, but it is. It takes energy to dwell and rest and flee to God. Not with our own efforts, but because he's got us. He's got us. So Paul here tells us, press on. Press on to know this one better who has so wonderfully brought you out of spiritual vertigo and brought you into his presence, into his very hands to bring you along, to walk you through what he has in store for you, to provide for you. All right, let's take a look at the, we've talked about pressing on, we've talked about progress, not perfection. Pressing on, in a lot of ways, it talks, it's an action kind of a thing, but Paul's gonna go on to talk about, not only do you press on, but when we get to verse 15, He's going to start talking about how we think. Verses 15 and 17 through 17. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who are walking according to the example you have in us. When we think of actions and think and think what we do and what we think, I, I think of Romans 12:1. Probably some of you did as well. That says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Catch that? The renewal of your mind. The Christian comedian Ken Davis likes to point out, that says renewal, not removal. Yeah, You don't remove your mind as a believer, you renew it. And renewing your mind, how you think and how you live, they go together. In chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul's going to go on to talk about, think about all these wonderful things, goodness, all all the good stuff. But then he closes that with, think on these things. You know, what you think about has consequences. 
What you think about has consequences. Be careful what you think about. Paul here shifts to no longer talking about himself, but he's talking about believers. We're in this together. We are walking together. He, he hints in these verses that we're all not walking at the same speed. You know, some of us might be a little slower than the others in terms of catching on to concepts and principles and living them out. Paul leaves room for that. But he says as a group, as believers, we should all be moving towards Jesus. Remember, it's progress, not perfection. It's renewal, not removal. (laughs) We need to be walking towards God as a group together. We We can differ in small manners. And what's, you know, how do we tell small manners, big manners, what's important, what's not important? Paul here is speaking of the essence of the gospel, the cross. He's saying that's where we need to rest. God says he has us. He says, I've got you. I've bought you. I own you. Again, not in any negative connotation of that, but in the best sense of the word. He owns us for our goodness, setting us on the right path. Saving us from all the junk we can bring on ourselves with wrong decisions. I like how one divine put it. And this starts out with a word. I was talking to Alex Pollock before. and This, this quote starts with the word, methinks. How many have heard that word before? Methinks? Yeah, it's kind of, kind of an old way of saying, this is how I think. But forgive me. It, the quote is worth quoting because it's good. But I'll start out with just a... Disclaimer on that word. Methinks there is no text but Christ's cross. No theme but the hole in his side. No ink but the Savior's blood. No confidence but his merits. No object but his obedience. No oratory but love the Lord Jesus. No music but bless our God forevermore. Those are the big things. Those are the big things. That's where, those are the things that we as believers should be walking together. Verses 18 and 19, you might think, what what are those doing there? Well, let me read them. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with the tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I want to camp a little bit on the phrase, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. But before he says that, he says he's telling them, he's reminding them, with weeping. Ask yourself, why would Paul weep over the lifestyle 
or the attitude that some have to the cross. Impact of sin takes away from God's glory. I think Paul was thinking about his own life, how he had lived that way, and how he had lost out during those years before he was a believer. He had lost out on pursuing and pressing on and thinking on who God was. He no longer, he was, he was thinking about the time that he had spiritual vertigo. He didn't know which way was up. He didn't have a standard or a foundation. And he's saying, I don't want people to live like that. So he's talking about weeping when he talks about people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's how we should be when we speak to people who don't love Jesus. We should do it with weeping, not with a hammer, not with, oh, I'm so much better than you. No. Remember the checkbook? (laughs) It's empty. (laughs) I've got no reference. I've got no credit to come before God. I can only tell others because I can understand their, their unbelief. I can understand what it is to waste effort, to be looking for a reference point, to be trying to figure out which way is up. We should be engaging unbelievers as a result of weeping for them, for weeping for the things in our own lives that have brought back the spiritual vertigo when we've forgotten that God has told us, I got you. But he sums up their enmity or how they display their being an enemy to the cross of Christ. I don't want to camp on that a little bit. That's really the sticking point to the unbelieving world. It's a sticking point because it, it's like, oh my, an unbeliever might say, that, that is so gory. That is so unnecessary. What? Why would God have to die? Ah, good question. <laughs> because God, the all-powerful, almighty creator of the universe is a loving God. He is a very definition of love. It makes sense that if he's all-powerful and all-loving, that he would make the ultimate sacrifice. And he had to make that sacrifice because we, as humans, blew it. We have, we're dead. Dead people don't do anything. He had to raise us up from the dead. He says, I've got you. We want him to be honored in the lives of every believer. We don't, we try to persuade people. We know it's the spirit that brings people, but God uses believers to testify and witness and speak to how wonderful it is to have someone whisper in your ear, I've got you. Got you. The vertigo's gone. We have a reference point. 
We have a, a person who has died for us. Press on, think on, and now it's stand on. Okay, maybe that's kind of forced in the terms, but he's called us to press on in verses 12 and following twice. He's called us to think correctly, think on an active thing, keep thinking whose you are. But now he closes with stand on, and he does this after he said that there's, there's opposition out there. When he talks about looking at examples, Paul says, look to me, look to others that are following. There are some that will not be following, have discernment. There are people out there that don't worship Jesus. Okay? Be aware of that. What's our response to them? Weep. Speak to them out of humility, out of a, a sureness of who our foundation is. But picking up in verse 20, after he describes those who are enemies, verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. When you think about vertigo, standing is not something that comes naturally. <laughs> standing in Jesus, though, standing on his promises, standing on him, that's a sure foundation. That's a reference point. We can operate from that because the vertigo is gone. Jesus says, I've got you. I've got you. C.S. Lewis, you can't have a sermon about quoting C.S. Lewis, can you? Anyway, he's got so many good quotes. He says this, keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, Everything else is thrown in. <laughs> I love that. Seek Christ. That's what Paul says, or what Jesus says in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek his righteousness. All this other stuff. Yep, that too. But get your priorities right. Seek Christ first. So the antidote to enemies that Paul talks about in verse 18 he doesn't list our end. Like in verse 19, he talks about their end, who their God is, their glory, who their minds are set on. The complete, the, the thing that addresses every one of those things on the negative side, on the positive side, 
is that we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship, our loyalties, our strivings, our pressing on, our thinking are all because heaven is in session. (laughs) Heaven is in session. God's ways rule in the lives of believers, or should. Heaven is in session in the life of the believer. Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to use this to kind of wrap up. Charles Spurgeon said, we trust him and sin dies. We love him and grace lives. We wait for him and grace is strengthened. We see him as he is and grace is perfected forever. Let me read that again. We trust him and sin dies. We love him and grace lives. We wait for him and grace is strengthened. We see him as he is and grace is perfected forever. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, he talks about various persecutions. The first one was under Nero in AD 67. During that time, Paul was martyred. The second one was under Domitian in AD 81. And under that one, Timothy was martyred. The third persecution under Trajan started in 108. And I want to read what Fox's Book of Martyrs says about Ignatius, who was one of the church fathers. He says, in this persecution, Ignatian was martyred. He was appointed to the bishopric of Antioch next after Peter. Because he professed Christ, he was given to the wild beasts to be devoured. It's also said of him that when he passed through Asia, being under the strictest custody of his keepers, he strengthened and confirmed the churches through all the cities as he went both with his exhortations and preaching of the word of God. Accordingly, having come to Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome, exhorting them not to use means for his deliverance from martyrdom, lest they should deprive him of that which he most longed and hoped for. Quoting, Now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing, a visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. Press on. He's got you. Press on. Think on, stand on. Jesus is the prize. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a marvelous thing it is, so simple that you have us. (laughs) You saved us. You sanctify us as we depend on you. Cause us, Lord, to look to you, rejoice in you, delight in you, marvel at your love for us. 
May we look to your word and look to you, Lord. Rejoice in being yours. We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.